Faith, love, truth, courage. Four key values of great leaders all around the world. I'm Phil Swanson, and I'm on a mission to bring you leaders from all walks of life, arming you with the truth and the mindset to lead courageously in whatever you are called to do. Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead What is going on, everybody? Welcome to GLE. Hey, if it's your first time joining us, this is the place where we are all about faith, love, truth, and courage in a world that promotes fear, hate, anti-truth, and conformity. And uh, if you're one of the regular listeners, welcome back. Today, we got an awesome interview Got an awesome guest. We we got a couple show formats here at GLE. We got some real truth, which is where I come on and just share some mindset and some real truth with you. And then we got what you're going to see today, which is more of a traditional interview style, really just a conversation with one of my friends here in the Houston area and uh, a guy that I've really grown to look up to and respect and, and I'm proud to call a friend. And, um, you know, if you're one of those listeners who tells me how much you like the show, I really appreciate it. I'm a words of affirmation guy, and so I love uh, hearing good feedback about the show. But if you really want to do me a favor and you really want to say thank you, share the show, share it out, give it a follow, subscribe, give it a rating, and uh, help it get out to more people so we can help more people. The only way we can change the world is by not only speaking truth, but demonstrating truth. So as you go, share the show, and uh, here we go. Back on uh let's see he was on gle episode 67 if you want to go back and hear this guy last time he was on the show before you come back to this one um and he had me on his show way of the wolf podcast episode 40 he's back i'll let you listen to his intro on those shows he's got some really exciting updates to share with us today but we've got today the wolf man himself sean barnes welcome to GLE. Bill, man, I am so excited. Whenever you reached out to me a few weeks ago and asked me to come back on the show, I got pumped. I got excited. And your opener is just so incredible. And whenever you came on the show, I have to jump right into this. I I actually did a little bit of research and went back to your very first episode and was so envious about how you just knocked it out of the park. Very first episode. You fired up the mic and just came out swinging. So I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how this episode unfolds, buddy. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you back, man. I know uh, a lot's been going on in your life. Hey, if y'all aren't following Sean, go check him out. Sean Barnes, S-E-A-N-B-A-R-N-E-S on LinkedIn. And uh, he's really been active growing his uh, LinkedIn lately. And and part of that is because he's, he's had quite a transition he he was a corporate executive and now he's full-time entrepreneur and i want to hear a little bit about that later sean but okay. um when we were booking this podcast i just i thought it'd be fun to to talk about this i totally screwed up and sent the invite to the wrong email account and uh <laughs> so we got our we got our wires crossed but it reminded me how i used to get so frustrated when i got stood up by people or uh you know, when, when people missed appointments or things like that, I thought it was so irresponsible. And now that I've grown up a little bit and, uh, I've got a, a wife and a daughter and, uh, you know, a couple different businesses and still working full time and, you know, busy people understand busy people. And, you know, it's one of those things where I, I think people, as they mature, they, uh, they understand that, don't they? Am I way off there, Sean? You're dead on, you know, as I've, Really, I would say that the past five to seven years, I've kind of gone through this maturity transformation. And, you know, we can probably dive into the whys of that. But whenever I think earlier in my career, the things that used to frustrate me, now I look back on them and they were such incredible opportunities to learn and grow, but I didn't see it that way. I thought, what in the world is this person doing? Why, why can't they get it together? So yes, I know exactly what you're talking about and you are on point. Yeah, I love it, man. Well, last time I uh, spoke with you, you were in pretty darn good shape. And then uh, <laughs> over the last year or so, or however long it's been since we spoke, you got absolutely shredded, man. Like it was fun to see your journey. 
of getting super fit. And and it's impressive because I, you know, I've, I did that something similar to that many years ago. And uh, for somebody to do it, I know how hard it is and uh, it's really admirable. And then, um, you know, you encounter some injuries, which, which kind of sucks. So one, I want to hear about the journey of okay. getting there. And then let's talk a little bit about how you've dealt with the, the mindset struggles of just staying straight and uh, yeah. healthy through adversity and injury. Yeah. So whenever I turned 40, I made the decision that I wanted to get into the best shape of my life. And I've always been into fitness and, and have known how to eat clean and train hard, but I had this mission. I wanted to be absolutely shredded and strong and lean and fast and just kind of all aspects of it. And so whenever I turned 40, I started focusing on that. And I was doing two a day workout. Well, I say training two a day. I would get up in the morning and do fasted cardio, which is really just walk a mile or two. And then, and then come back to the house, take an ice bath or a cold bath and then start breakfast, kind of do my thing. And then at lunchtime, I would go lift heavy, train hard, either in the garage or a gym that's close to the house here. And then every now and then in the evening, I would do some, some interval training. So I was training two or three times a day, no cheat meals, no alcohol, no sugar. It was just on point. And to get a sense of the types of food I was eating, it was kind of a traditional bodybuilding show prep type diet. And man, Phil, after probably three to four months, I just looked phenomenal. It, it just, I felt incredible, looked phenomenal. But then something interesting started to happen. Probably about five to six months in, I started noticing just aches and pains that wouldn't quite go away. I started no noticing challenges sleeping through the night and I started to actually lose weight faster hmm. than I wanted to and I realized I'd gotten to this point where I was pushing myself too hard and went and had some labs done some hormone uh, just like checking my hormones and a lot of my levels were starting to crash and my cortisol levels were going like it was it was not good <clears throat> And I recognize that at 40 years old, we can't push quite as hard as we can when we're in our early 20s. And obviously that's, I would say by design or just inevitable as we get older, we just can't push as hard. So I had to back off a little bit and find a, a little bit more balance. And I did. And I wasn't quite as lean. I wasn't quite as strong, but I felt much better and was able to really just have that balance that made more sense and worked well for me. Because also the other thing is I came to realize that training two or three times a day while having a full-time job, uh, it started to be challenging. I'll just leave it that, yeah. at yeah. that, right? We have to prioritize certain things in life. And after about six months, I realized, okay, this isn't really sustainable for me. Yeah. And I have to make some tweaks and adjustments. So I did. I found a new homeostasis, was still feeling good hitting the gym usually one day, uh, once a day and still eating really healthy. And then six months ago, one of the days that I was training, I was doing box jumps on a 55 inch box at the end of my workout. Normally I do it at the beginning and I was wearing running shoes instead of my normal cross trainers. And mm -hmm. I got up to the top, stuck the landing. And then I was a little bit unstable whenever I came and jumped back down I landed just slightly wrong and I have it on video. You can see my running shoe collapse and my ankle just completely rolled over 90 oh, degrees. Uh, I mean, it was like something out of a horror show. Oh, and I, I didn't feel the pain immediately, but I knew something wasn't right. And so I rolled over onto the ground, looked down and my foot was still sideways and oh, immediately dude. thought, <laughs> yeah. I just immediately thought, oh, man, that's not right. And I grabbed it and straightened it. And whenever I did, the pain just flooded oh. through my body. And oh. it's it was the swelling was just intense oh and instant. It was it was pretty bad. So. Uh, so, yeah, ended up going to a minor emergency clinic. They x-rayed it. They're like, yeah, you got to go to a specialist, went to a specialist, x-rays, MRIs, all the things. Tremendous amount of damage. 
completely detached ligaments, torn tendons, and let's see, a bunch of bone fracture. Like it, there was a lot of damage. So it took a month to get in for my surgery. And the first two to three weeks, I was actually in a decent headspace. And it was kind of, all right, well, this is unfor- this is unfortunate. I'm always talking about enduring adversity. Right. So here we go. Yeah. And so I was posting and creating content and and just kind of talking people through where my head was at. And then I started to get to where I could kind of walk on it a little bit a week before surgery. And then three or four days before surgery, it hit me like, oh, man, I'm going under the knife. And then I'm really not going to be able to walk for a while. So I started to kind of experience some of that depression that comes along with it. And my posting started to kind of slow down a little bit. Then I had surgery. Surgery went great. Once I had surgery, the the doctor said, okay, you have to keep your foot elevated above your head, higher than your head. No, your heart. He said your heart. You have to keep it elevated higher than your heart for 23 hours a day. Wow. And I paused and said, okay, doc, you're great reviews, great surgeon. Are you really that good at math? Because 23 hours a day, I'm not really sure how feasible that is. He's like, that's exactly what we need to do. We have to control the swelling. We can't do it through medication. We have to control the swelling with elevation. So you can get up to go to the bathroom. You can get up to make some food, but you have to keep your foot elevated. Holy so then, yeah, I stuck. I had to basically work from the couch and had, it was about six weeks that I was stuck like that. And Dude. Man, it really started messing with my head. For somebody who went from training once or twice a day for for a year and a half, two years, eating clean, to being stuck on the couch, right? it started to take a toll on me mentally. And I didn't anticipate it being that bad, but man, it got, it was rough. And there were a lot of people that were reaching out to me, checking in on me. But man, when you get to that dark space, it's just like... There's nothing anybody can say. You just yeah. have to endure it. You have to stay focused on what's on the other side of it and try to tell yourself there's a lesson to be learned here. I'm not sure exactly what it is yet, but God has a plan for everything and his plan doesn't always align with our plan. There mm-hmm. has to be something I'm learning from it. That's so I reflected tough. and it yeah, it was it was brutal. It took me, let's see, after two months after the surgery, I was able to walk in a in a walking boot or walking cast. Mm-hmm. Das Boot. Yeah, that's exactly. what we always we always call <laughs> yeah. people. I've had I've had to wear the boot before. Well, I had a boot in in high school. Whenever I was a distance runner, I fractured my right heel and had to wear that for six weeks. But I was able. To, yeah, that was nothing like this. Right. And so, right. I got out of the boot probably two months ago. And I had a figure eight brace for another four to six weeks. And I still have to deal with the swelling. But just two weeks ago, the doctor released me to start actually strength training. He said, be easy on impact, like running and jumping type stuff. I was like, doc, you don't have to tell me that. I'm going to take it easy for sure. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I started, I did uh, three, three sets of 10 body weight squats. I was wrecked. It, it was it was absolutely crazy. And and the other aspect mentally that I struggled with was the lack of symmetry. Uh, right. symmetry. right. Because my left leg had shrunk so much. Both legs shrank, but my left leg substantially more. Right. And so just kind of dealing with all of that. Now I'm, I'm kind of in a good place. I'm starting to train a little bit harder. I'm starting to eat more. And I continued eating healthy. I just pulled back on my carbs and fats, but I, I had to sit and just watch my body erode in front of me from not being able to train at all for really two and a half, three months almost. Jeez. And so now I'm finally getting back into the gym consistently. And, uh, you know, so uh, all of this happened while I was still at my full-time job. Mm-hmm. And so that is one thing that I was thankful for that had phenomenal insurance. I still had my full-time job. I was able to do everything remotely, but I knew I'd already had the conversation about my transition out into entrepreneurship. Oh, wow. And so, uh, you know, the company was great. They were understanding. They let me work from home and like the transition actually went well, but I came to this realization that 
with me going into entrepreneurship, I genuinely think this was God's way of telling me, hey, whenever you go into entrepreneurship full time, you're going to get punched in the face. You're going to lose sales. You're going to experience downturns. You're going to break an ankle. You're going to encounter adversity unlike anything you've experienced before. I'm going to give you a little taste of that right now while you still have your full-time job, while you still have this salary coming in. But no, this is going to be your life going forward. And whenever I started to look at it through that lens, as odd as it sounds, I started to develop an appreciation for what had happened. Right. Now, I also have to ask myself or, you know, ask the man above and say, <laughs> Could you have taught me the lesson in another way? Because right. this was kind of painful and frustrating, but ultimately like everything unfolds exactly as it should. And here we are uh, right. a few weeks ago, probably a month ago. Now I announced full-time uh, running my company and yeah, just kind of off to the races. Man. So cool. Congrats on launching WSS solutions, by the way. That's awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Really, really cool. I, um, I just did a podcast uh, actually, I think it's the the last one I just had up on freedom is a real mm -hmm. truth. Mm -hmm. And you just made me think of it because, you know, I, I think people have this magic illusion in their head because entrepreneurship so glamorized these days of, oh, yeah, you know, you own your own business and you'll be free. Right. And um, <laughs> I don't think people realize that with great freedom, I'll, the quote is power from from Spider-Man. From uh, yeah. Uncle, whatever his name is, but uh, Uncle Ben. But ben. from great freedom comes great responsibility. And like you said, it's not going to be easy. It's probably going to be way harder, actually. And, uh, you know, I just want people to be aware of that because I, you know, I think a lot of people, um, they get this idea in their head of what entrepreneurship's like because it's so glamorized these days. Um, how. You mentioned your posting slowed down, and I thought that was interesting because I've I've experienced mm -hmm. this myself where um, you encounter some challenges, you encounter some some um, struggles, and um, you know you you start to lose momentum. It's really easy to lose momentum. And um, what do, what do you think that is? Why do, why do you think our natural tendency is to uh, back away, retreat, slow down, uh, pull the foot off the gas? when uh when we're facing those struggles man that is a good question my 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 head first goes to well social media has only been around for call it two decades realistically so as right. humans we probably aren't going to be as focused on sharing how great our life is because biologically we're not wired that way that's mm -hmm. only a phenomenon that has occurred in the past two decades or so but the way you phrased it kind of had me shift my perspective because even before social media was such a big thing in the world if an injury like this i mean it would it would take you out of commission and right. especially you know I'm i'm so fortunate to have been able to execute my job and duties from from anywhere so i could do my job from the couch but i couldn't imagine 50 years ago working in a factory or 80 years ago working in a factory breaking my ankle like this like it would have it would have wrecked me i mm -hmm. i mean i would imagine yeah and and so i think there's a few things that come to mind and and that is like whenever we encounter some significant adversity there's probably some elements of embarrassment, maybe some shame, maybe uh, some confusion around what should I do? How can I navigate through this? I still need to, as a man, portray I'm this strong, manly man. I've got my life under control, even though this thing happened. Right. But the reality is, like, that's not reality. Right. Whenever we encounter serious adversity in life and struggles and pains, we can't just pretend like everything's fine and be happy-go-lucky right. and, and just keep moving forward. So I think our natural tendency is to slow down and, mm -hmm. and revert inwards and take the time to reflect on what's going on and figure out what is this mm -hmm. trying to teach me. 
And I think I've only viewed things through that lens of what is this trying to teach me over the past five to seven years. Before that, I would have just been pissed off at the world. Right. I mean, and so, you know, I think people handle these types of challenges in different ways. For sure. I'm just fortunate that it happened at this point in my life where I can try to find that silver lining. Also, you know, if you listen to the, to to my show, then you know I'm always talking or seeing my content. Even you know I'm always talking about there is always a silver lining. You just have to find it. Right. And you know, quite frankly, it's been many years since I've encountered this level of adversity, this kind right. of a challenge. Yeah, I mean, I'm right. challenged all the time in the in business and other sure. aspects of life, but but nothing like this. And so yeah. it was again an opportunity for me to practice what I preach, mm-hmm. find that silver lining, even whenever the storm seems like it will never end. Th- there's always a silver lining. And sometimes you got to search really hard to find it, but it does exist. Mm-hmm. And that's what you got to focus on. I think you nailed it. That's that's a lot of, a lot of wisdom right there. The, I had a experience where I started to get back into the gym after being out of the gym for a couple of years post my college baseball career, which was, by the way, if, if you're listening to the show and you play some sort of athletics or you're athletic right now, just stay athletic and stay consistent and don't take a break. It's the stupid, <laughs> like that was the stupidest thing I ever did was to be like, oh man, I'm taking two years off after my college baseball career. But mm-hmm. I was like the weight room warrior at Wayne State, like squatted 500 pounds um, I, well, I think my max was like, I did four or five, like eight times full parallel, you know, and I, I think I did three fifteen bench five times was the most I ever did. So like a three sixty five max and I was a baseball player. So everybody made jokes. Like I was a football player trying to play baseball, just felt invincible. And, and you're uh, like six foot 10. So that's gotta, I mean, not that's quite, a lot of weight. For the- <laughs> you know, it's funny people that don't know me, um, and they met me for the first time. They'd only known me from uh, from uh, Zooms. They were yeah. like, dude, I thought you were short and like fat. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like they couldn't believe how tall I was. <laughs> you, you need to get a new camera, bud. Something. I know. I'm like, what is going on? They, they, they weren't lying about this camera adding 10 pounds. But um, yeah, I herniated a disc. So I, I got back in the gym and I was standing over a bench. I went to do some uh, straight bar curls backwards on a on a bench press. Only I had like 25s on each side. So I was kind of doing heavier straight bar curls. And uh, man, I just took a couple steps back, pop, pop, hit the floor. And uh, my L5S1 disc in my back, it's like completely just destroyed. Um, And I was, I was on, I was in bed for two weeks. You know, I still to this day tweak, you know, tweak my nerve wrong and like, I'll just get completely crooked. Uh, But going from being like, like I just imagine you being in the best shape of your life and going from, you know, I wasn't in the best shape of my life at the time, but like, I can't imagine being like in just peak, you know, top shape and then going to full blown injury of that severity. I mean, it's gotta be, I, I think of like the Kobe Bryant's when they tore their Achilles. Right. And you're like, man, he's almost at retirement age. Is he going to come back from this? And, you know, he comes back and wins a couple more championships, I think. But, um, you know, it's just, it's real admirable to kind of fight through that. I think it's an identity attack, like where we're struggling with that. It's like, okay, I had this identity of myself as this strong guy. And now that's like, I feel like I'm not that guy anymore. And, and, uh, you know, maybe you feel like a fraud. You're like, man, man I, I'm not the guy I thought I was. And maybe that's some of it. I don't know. You know what? You touched on something that I can't believe I actually left out as I was sharing my perspective. But I did mention how I had to watch my body erode in front of me. And I had this realization event. It took a little while, a couple of weeks, but I ended up realizing that over the years, I had unintentionally tied so much of my identity and self-worth to my physique. Right, And this situation forced me to recognize that there is so much more to me mm-hmm. than having abs right? or, you know, it, it just, it, and 
it, it's crazy because it wasn't like I set out to like, oh, I have to, this is my new identity. I'm going to go blow up on Instagram showing my abs and stuff. I think I've only got like one picture in all my content without my shirt on just because it's not really my thing. But... Hey, you might have more followers there, Sean. If you started, uh, <laughs> no, maybe that's skin, the trick. Brother. Maybe that's the trick. But <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, it was uh, that was one thing that I did struggle with, and and the experience did help me recognize that there is so much more to me than just my physique. And so, yes, I still want to be healthy and strong and fast and fit, but I'm just, you know, it's about finding that balance that works well for you. And I just, I need to be aware of that. No more max effort box jumps for me. I'll just graduate and do step ups now or something to that effect but there you go yeah you know it's all about these lessons that we learn in life and and what we take forward with us 100 percent, 100 percent. and um i want to hear about wss solutions what's full-time entre entrepreneurship been like you know i this has been a dream of mine for actually a very long time one thing that I haven't shared until recently is right out of college, I had two failed attempts at starting companies. One was a computer repair shop and the other was an automotive speed shop. Now I say shop, I didn't have a location and both of those obviously failed. Coming out of college, I thought I could start a company and I could not. No, I didn't know anything about running a company. I knew how to fix computers and I knew how to make cars fast, but I didn't know how to monetize that in any way. Right, right. And eventually I had to pay bills and, you know, all of the things that come along with life. So got a full-time job uh, working at a bank and did that for a couple of years and then ended up going over to oil and gas. And then my career just kind of gradually took off from there. But I always had this desire deep down and knew that one day, I was going to start a company. And you mentioned this earlier, there's this kind of an allure to entrepreneurship these days. You see all these Instagram influencers, they're posting pictures all over the place with Lambos they've rented and stuff like that because they're usually not theirs. And uh, trying to put off this image of, oh, this is what entrepreneurship is like. And you can make all this money and, and work from everywhere around the world. Well, that's not exactly how it works. And I have many friends that have had their own businesses over the years. And because I have a network of, of entrepreneurs, I've seen the struggles that they've had in building their businesses. And not one single example exists, at least in my network, of that overnight millionaire. Mm -hmm. They all had to grind for years. And they all ended up reaching some level of comfort. Some are more successful than others, but many of them end up kind of reaching that point in their life where they're comfortable, they're making decent money and their business kind of slows down in terms of growth, but they're okay with that. They're prioritizing mm -hmm. family and raising children and you know whatever else that they're passionate about. But one of the things that is so beautiful about entrepreneurship is there is no ceiling to what you can accomplish. Whereas in corporate America, there is always going to be a ceiling somewhere. Even if you make it up to the CEO seat, you end up having a board that you have to report to. Right. 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 So, you know, in entrepreneurship, if you know what you're doing and you educate yourself, you, you're able to remove those ceilings and grow as much as you want. And then you have this story of, oh, well, you have all this freedom in the world. Well, yeah, but to be successful in entrepreneurship, you also have to be driven. And so right. while technically you have freedom to create the schedule that you want, you also come to this realization that if you don't work, you're probably still not going to get paid a whole lot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's all these misconceptions that exist out there around entrepreneurship. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have these influencers talk about grind, 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 and you get it done. Well, okay, yes, you do have to grind and work hard, but also you got to learn how to work smarter, not harder. Make sure that you're putting your energy into things that are higher leverage and are going to help you accomplish what you want to accomplish. So there's you know, all these misconceptions about it. Yeah. 
I think one of the lessons I've learned the most is, and I wasn't a perfectionist by any means at any point, you know, I, I was that guy in, in school that was like, do just enough to get the grade. It's like, I don't, I don't need to get a straight A's, but as long as I do enough to get A's and B's cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was like, I was like, do enough, or maybe it's more of a do what is required mentality. Yep. Um, but what I've noticed is in entrepreneurship, there's a lot of that and you're going to mess up a ton and you can't do everything by yourself. So, you know, when you're starting out, things just get dropped. I mean, you're just, you can't really do everything you'd want to do with a big company where all your processes and systems are established. And, um, you know, you kind of have to take baby steps or step by step of, okay, I'm going to put this in place and then I'll put this in place and then we'll do this and, and more of a strategic plan. And then, um, one, one thing I've noticed though, is that, you know, the ones that are really successful, they're the ones that don't do just, just what is required. They're the ones that, that offer above and beyond levels of service and product and experience than is, than is required. Am I, am I Mm -hmm. wrong there? What, what would you think? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, as I think through some of the small businesses, I actually worked for, an IT consulting firm between some of the oil and gas companies that I worked for. And it, it, it was interesting in seeing some of the approaches that they took to business development and getting new clients and customers. I didn't necessarily agree with it. And, you know, I was only with that company for nine months, something like that. But Mm -hmm. one of the things I found interesting kind of to your point is they did just enough to get by. And I I will say they're kind of more of the, the bottom feeders. Mm. And by that, I mean, anytime that they would go in, have conversations with a potential customer and start bidding out the work, it was a race to the bottom from a pricing perspective, just to win the work. Right, right, and right. their particular model was we pay, we pay or the customers would pay us x amount of dollars per employee per month to support their environment. Right. Okay, fair enough, decent model. The challenge was that they had different bill rates for every customer, and those bill rates would vary based on whatever it took from a dollar perspective just to land the customer. Mm-hmm. The problem with that approach is you have much smaller organizations that don't have as much SGNA or overhead, and they can come in and say, well, we'll do it for 30 bucks a month, 40 bucks a month per, per employee. And most of the successful ones would charge $100 a month. Right. But what would happen is just to win the work, well, we'll beat them. We'll beat their price. We'll beat their price. And ultimately, it created this these challenges around razor thin margins, you're doing tons and tons of work and volume, but your margins were, were nothing. And so every little bit made a huge difference. And then they actually got to a point where they wanted me to create this matrix of how to prioritize support requests coming in from various customers based on their bill rates. So if we were charging them more, we would prioritize them in the ticketing queue. And that made no sense to me. I just thought, right. well, why don't we just charge a flat rate for everybody? First in, first out. It simplifies the whole thing. Well, we can't get as many customers if we do that. Okay, so do we really want the customers where we're not making any money off of it? Mm-hmm. And that's the first time I had visibility into what your approach is whenever you are selling some sort of service. Now, I've also seen the opposite of the spectrum where I've worked for another consulting firm where their bill rates were two fifty an hour. It was management consulting, strategic advisory, well, two fifty to three hundred depending on the consultant. But now they didn't have near the volume of customers, but their margins were just massive. Mm-hmm. And so I would rather deliver a premium product or service with great margins and have some some flexibility there to work with, as opposed to being that bottom feeder that's constantly scraping and, and just doing everything you can just to get scraps Mm-hmm. from a ton of customers. And quite frankly, if these customers are going to be paying these types of rates, usually they're the ones that complain the most anyways and don't value what you do. Right. So 
it was interesting to kind of see that perspective of businesses and in terms of services right. companies and you know this carries over to all sorts of products you look at at luxury goods and products and you know i, I don't know I'm sure your wife probably has a, a very expensive purse that that she absolutely loves. Nah, I would imagine. I get it for her. No, <laughs> she's got some good, some nice purses, and then she's got some really nice purses we haven't quite gotten. Yet. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure they'll they're on the vision board. Yeah. Well, and then the thing is, is like we'll say, well, what's a luxury luggage uh, like Tumi, for example? Okay. Tumi, I don't think they ever go on sale. Yeah. Well, because the price is what the price is. Right. If you want a premium product, this is the price. Mm -hmm. And so what it does is it allows you to be more selective about the customers that you have. Now, you can't come out of the gates. Like I just started my company. I can't come out of the gates and say, hey, we charge 300 bucks an hour. And then not have any customers, right? You have to build to that level and that doesn't happen overnight. But that's really kind of the vision that I have is, is I want myself and my team to deliver a premium service. And yeah, we're going to charge a decent amount. We're not going to be the most expensive, but we're going to charge a decent amount because that's what it takes to hire the best talent to mm -hmm. deliver the best service. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I um, As I think about the some of the times I've had the best experiences and the worst you know the pe the people that are the hardest to work with are always the people that are you know trying to save every buck scrape by pinch pennies you know the broke mindset people for lack of a better way to say it they're always mm -hmm. the hardest to work with they're the most demanding um and typically the 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 wealthier types the non-broke mindset i'm not just talking money i'm just talking mm -hmm. you know overall mindset they're they're better to work with they're more polite they're more respectful and uh you know i've done some some recruiting for some of my other businesses and mm -hmm. you know it's amazing how the higher quality of mindset individual you speak with you know getting getting uh told no or getting shut down or or you know working with those people is 10 times easier and better than uh, the lower standard people. Has that been your experience? It, yeah, it, it has. And, you know, another thing that, that comes to mind for me whenever you were talking through that is, man, you know, yeah, well, okay, I was going to go somewhere with it. But ultimately, I think you're right. It, it's just whenever you're working with people with that sort of a mindset, it they're just going to be easier to work with. And because part of it is money has less meaning to them. They just want something. And if you can provide that something and do it better than somebody else, they don't really care about the money. Now, to get to that point, you have to be able to deliver you have to be right. good at what you do. If you come in and you're just kind of mediocre at best, they're going to see it and they're going to go someplace else. Mm -hmm. But whenever you start getting into the upper echelons of, of customers, whether it's B2B, B2C, doesn't really matter. Once you start getting into the upper echelons, they pay for convenience. So right. if you can deliver a high quality product fast, you can charge a premium for it and they're mm -hmm. completely okay because you are solving problems for them that they couldn't otherwise solve without mm -hmm. investing a ton of money into it. But, right. you know, whenever you start working with that caliber of individual or company that have that, that sort of a mindset, it is much easier to work with them, but you have to be good at what you do. You have to deliver a premium product that takes time to be, mm -hmm be good at what you do and to be able to build and deliver a premium product consistently. Mm -hmm. But when you get there, it makes it much easier for you and the people that you work with are, are much easier to work with. For sure. Have you ever read Alex Hermosi's stuff? $100 million oh, yeah. offers, $100 million leads. You got them right there. <laughs> I do. Man, right I just, uh, I, I, he put them on, uh, I'll give him a plug because I'm, I'm grateful he put them for free on his podcast. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that was also a smart business move because his podcast absolutely just blew up when he did that. But um, that, you're talking about the hundred million dollar uh, uh, leads launch event. Did you see that? 
I didn't see it, but I, I mean, I saw of it. I, I wasn't, I didn't participate in it, but um, I had heard that, you know, following that event that he ended up putting both his books on his podcast as, yep. as audio for free. And I was just listening to him the other day. And I, you know, mm -hmm. what amazed me is how little I know about any of that stuff. And it's such, it's so simple. Like it's, it's not hard. It's very like, once he goes through it, you're like, man, that makes so much sense. But I've never as a, as your typical employee living in employee land, you know, you don't really think about all the details of how these things get to you when you, you know, buy something and all, all the thought process that went behind getting you this thing that you just experience and trade some money for it. And, and, uh, yeah, I just, I, those books are, I'm going to have to go back and study them. It seems like you mm -hmm. are, you're doing a little bit. of. The oh yeah. Yeah. I've got it. I've gone, been going through them quite a bit, ended up buying a couple of copies of hundred million dollar leads. I probably give them, give them away to some folks, but yeah, you know, what's interesting about what you just said, whenever you're living in employee land, especially in a large organization, usually you're hyper-focused or siloed into one area of the business that you are presumably really good at. You rarely get visibility into the broader organization and how the company actually works. And that is one thing that I will be eternally grateful for. My previous employer, I started over a decade ago with them as their director of IT. And as the years progressed, they ended up rolling HR under me. They ended up rolling safety and transportation and the PMO and ESG. And whenever uh, I didn't do anything with accounting or internal audit, I stay away from I don't really care to work with auditors or accountants. So if any, if any of your listeners, I, you know, I apologize. I'm sure there's some nice, nice ones out there. Um, I'd love to meet them, but I love uh, a good accountant. Cause I'm like the worst accountant. My accountant like tells me I'm the worst bookkeeper in like the history of time. And I'm like, I know, I know I am like, I need to hire someone. Yeah. But you know, I, I was, I will be eternally grateful for them giving me the opportunity to lead all of these different functions. And in doing so, I got to have exposure to all different areas of the business and start to get a little bit of insight. And I'm going to come back to what you said earlier, asking me what it's like transitioning into entrepreneurship. I've had, I've been coming to realize that while I'm very comfortable whenever it comes to building and developing leaders, I'm very comfortable whenever it comes to talking digital strategy, cybersecurity, and, and safety and transportation to a lesser extent, but I'm comfortable in, in execution of all of these areas. I didn't know anything about sales, what a lead was, what a qualified lead was. Like, I didn't know anything about any of it, which is why I'm studying Alex Hormozzi's stuff so much at this point in time. But I stepped off into entrepreneurship and realized that, hey, me having these skills and knowing how to develop leaders and knowing how to build technology environments that are stable and secure, that doesn't mean anything unless I know how to market, unless I know how to generate leads, unless I know how to convert those leads to customers. So I have been like a sponge trying to learn as much as possible. And one of the things that and looking back ended up helping me out tremendously was really the podcast. I started the podcast three years ago to get more comfortable behind camera, behind a microphone over the past few years of me having the podcast and not charging anybody for it. I don't monetize it, never going to just trying to share a positive message and help teach people how they can be more successful I ended up building a brand and reputation for helping others. Mm -hmm. And my social media following started growing and growing. And so my network started growing mm -hmm. and I learned how to become a better conversationalist. Man, if you go back and listen to my first well year of, of episodes, it was bad. Like it was really bad because I spent the entire life or the majority of my life as an introverted IT nerd. I was great at data center architecture, couldn't really hold a good conversation with anybody. And so over the years, I've started to build and develop those skills. Now I go to speaking events and get on stage. I was on stage twice this week. And it's just something that I've become very comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And so well, that wasn't the intent when I started the show. But looking back, 
I was de de developing skills and building skills all along the way mm -hmm. that now I have a much larger network mm -hmm. and potential customers out there. It makes these conversations much easier. So another thing that I've learned is while I have a lot of followers, especially on LinkedIn, that's probably my biggest follower base right now, but I've got a lot of followers out there and it's easy to go have coffee with them. It's easy to go meet up with them, share my perspectives and ideas because they know me, they trust me. They've seen my content consistently coming out for years now. Right. I'm having to develop skills around saying, I know all of this stuff now. Let me help you do all of this stuff. Right. And here's what it'll cost, but I can help you do all of these things. Mm -hmm. I have stayed away from sales for my entire life. My dad was a car salesman. My brother's a car salesman. Really? Like, yeah, it's just, uh, you were for the whatever black reason, sheep. I was the black sheep. I, mm -mm, I stayed away from sales. Really? And what made you, what made you want to stay away from it? Oh man, I don't, I think what it is, is it's, I feel uncomfortable pressuring people to do anything. Man, and it man. seems like many salespeople, they're like just pressuring the heck out of you to, to land that sale, to mm -hmm. close that deal. That doesn't come naturally to me. And, and even today, like whenever I'll go have conversations with potential customers and kind of talk through what we're doing, once it gets time to put in that statement of work in front of them, yeah, I'm, hmm. Not exactly comfortable doing it, but I know it's something that I need to do and something that I need to get comfortable with. And this is another thing that I appreciate about Alex or Mosey. We keep plugging him, but whenever he had his launch event, he was talking through all of this course content that he had been creating over the past few years. And he was talking through the pricing, you know, this, this course, it's three days of content blah, blah, blah. this would normally go for 1500 bucks or whatever. So we ended up listing out all of these different courses and content. And, and it, I think it was like $15,000 worth of value. And then he said, you know, I've got all of this content out here. Y'all know me. You trust me. Would you pay $15,000 to be able to 10X your business? And he didn't use that terminology, but would you pay that? He's like, okay, well, what if I said it was $4,000? And everybody's like, oh my God, yeah, let's do it. And he said, okay, well, what if I just gave it to you? he gave it all away. Like you go to acquisition.com, everything that he has done for the past few years, he gave mm -hmm. away for free. Right. His ask was, if you learn something, if you grow your business and you see value, when the time comes, reach out to us at acquisition.com, apply. Let's see if we can work together in the future. Right. He's playing the long game. And he'll take an equity stake of your business. And help exactly. you grow to eight or nine figures, right? That's exactly right. And, and then so, he'll get his cut. That's exactly right. So he's playing the long game. Yeah. And, and he's man. qualifying his lead, right? Because now he's only working with people that have the skills to grow an eight-figure business already that's on their exactly own. exactly right. Yeah. So, so I'm kind of now trying to emulate that and go yeah. down my own path. He's, ten, he's a decade ahead of me. Sure. But I'm trying to do something similar just because... The, <laughs> Like that takes all the pressure off oh, because yeah. then all the inflow is right. people that already value and trust you and want to do business with you. Right. And that's why I'm, I'm going to keep pushing as much content out there as I can. Like everything that I teach in my executive training courses and things like that, mm -hmm. it's all the same stuff that I have on my podcast, on my YouTube channel. It is just more targeted delivery to what the customer actually needs. So yeah. instead of a customer having to go through three years of content to figure mm -hmm. out what makes sense for their business, mm -hmm. they can pay us and we'll come in, put a targeted plan together to get them where they need to be or where they want to be mm -hmm. in a very short period of time. Right. But all that content I've spent the past few years creating has built a brand and reputation so that people know this guy, he's not a fly-by-night influencer that's trying to sell me a course and then right. just bounce off to the next person. Right. This is something he's committed to. This is something that he is passionate about. And, right. and Phil, my, my personal mission is to positively impact the generational legacy of everybody that we work with. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time, but that is my mission.
is is truly just to help as many people find opportunities for upward mobility to change their life. And a lot of that stems from my childhood growing up without any money. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm very blessed to have worked for the company that I've worked for, had the opportunities that I've, I've had, and, you know, live a very comfortable lifestyle and, and even going off into entrepreneurship. I, I mean, I spent years hoarding cash and saving money, knowing that this was going to happen. I didn't know when, but I knew in my heart that, when I was ready, I would know that I was ready. So I was just saving money. And that is one thing for all of you that are considering entrepreneurship, save your money. You are not going to leave your corporate nine to five and then be a millionaire next month. Right. You need to be prepared to not collect a paycheck for a year or two or barely scrape by. Mm-hmm. Save as much money as you possibly can so that you can live comfortably without having to stress now, yes, I want to make sure that we're earning money from the customers that we do work with, but right, you know, I yeah. don't have to stress out about money. And so I don't have to be that salesman that's putting a ton of pressure on people because I'm worried about paying my bills next month. Does that make right. sense? hundred percent, man. Yeah. yeah. All the, all the successful entrepreneurs I know for years, like you said, you know, the Alex Ramosi. Right. He, um, one of my favorite stories of his, you know, he's with Layla and, uh, she was like, uh, hired on with him to help him sell in the beginning and ended up, you know, getting married or whatever. But, um, they were like completely broke. They had told five of her friends to quit their jobs and like help them grow this business. And then like, they didn't have any money and, uh, they were trying to do this gym launch thing and like, they'd sign all these people up for these gym owners and then the gym owners would refund them all. And mm-hmm. so, and then they would just like downsell, you know, they, they lowball them and, and sign them all back up for a lower price and keep all the money for themselves instead of giving it to Alex and Layla. So, yep. um, then they like owed money and, you know, randomly, I don't remember how many years into the business they were, but you know, Alex was just like, just leave me. Like, you know, like you should, like, don't, don't be with me. Like, yeah. Um, I'm broke. Like, I'm just going to drag you down. And she's like, I'm with you. I'm with you no matter what. It's like, okay, cool. But, um, it was funny that cause he like came up with his offer by accident, which is the funniest part. Cause Alex is a super smart dude. Right. And, and, uh, you hear him talk and you can just, you just know he, he, you can't fake that. And, uh, he gets this call because he had quit the gym business. He's like, Oh, this isn't working. They were going to go a completely different direction. This guy's like begging him to help him with his business. And, uh, so he just threw out some number. I think it was like 5,000 or 6,000 bucks. He's like, all right, I'll tell you what to do, but it's going to be, I'm not coming. I'm not flying out there. It's going to be, uh, like six grand. And the guy's like, Mm -hmm. done. And he called like all these other people (laughs) and like, he sold like 60 grand in one day or something like that. Or I can't remember how much, but you know, but that took him years to figure work to figure that Mm -hmm. out. Right. And work out those systems and be able to help the people to the level that he could and yep. you know figure out that offer and he almost didn't figure it out right mm-hmm. and uh so yeah like 100 i think andy forcella was like living in his car working two jobs at one point like yeah it's it's not for the you know this is, it's it's not and this is a good thing i would actually love your perspective on i was having a conversation with a couple of other friends of mine that are entrepreneurs and we got on this topic of what creates a successful entrepreneur? And mm-hmm. as we started kind of going through different situations and scenarios, we started to kind of latch on to this concept of a person who experiences adversity, usually early on in life, or at some point in their life ends up being successful. Now, it's not a guarantee that if you encounter adversity, that you will be successful. But mm-hmm. it's almost like there is a, a band of adversity. Experience too much and the psychological psychological damage could be too much for you to overcome. Mm-hmm. Don't experience enough if you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth and never have to work for anything. You mm-hmm. don't likely have that drive to go do something great. But if you encounter the right amount of adversity and what's challenging for you is different from me, from you know, Sally or Jason or Jim, right? Mm -hmm. But it would seem that people that encounter some level of adversity 
there's something inside of them mm-hmm. that pushes them mm-hmm. or pulls them to achieve something great. And the trick is learning how to use that adversity as fuel, whether it's mm-hmm. fuel to push you or fuel to pull you, figuring out how to convert that adversity and those challenges into fuel and energy to move you forward to accomplish great things. That's the trick. And that's the Mm -hmm. final piece. So experience adversity, learn how to use it as fuel, profit. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's Andy Frisella talks about that as like dark energy. And, um, Mm. I, I thought that was kind of an interesting way to put it. It's like, you know, he talks about his chip on his shoulder that he's gradually like building up. And when he's, you know, he hears what he calls the bitch voice telling him to slow down. He, uh, he grabs, pulls from that chip and, and pushes forward. And I don't know. I don't, I guess to me that, that mentality of entrepreneurship and going through adversity, it's like, it's everybody goes through adversity. And so it's kind of just how you look at adversity, which is, which is yeah. interesting to me because it's the same adversity. Like everybody, if you think you got it bad, everybody else has got it bad too. I mean, you know, everybody's been through something. You yeah. broke your ankle. We're in bed for yeah. six weeks. I herniated mm-hmm. a disc, was in bed for a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, I've had surgeries. You've had surgeries. We've, you, you could go on and on and on, right? Every, everybody yeah. goes through it. And, and some people look at it as, Oh no, I'm helpless because of these things. And other people look at it, like you said at the beginning of the show, which, which to me, I think is the right godly attitude is, is, mm-hmm. you know, what, what is God teaching me in this? I think of mm-hmm. one of my, do you, do you know the Bible story of Joseph? Uh, vaguely. So it's one of my favorite stories. He, he was, uh, he had this dream that later in life his uh, brothers would all bow down to him. He was the youngest and the favorite of his father. And imagine, mm-hmm. you know, you're the youngest kid and you tell all your brothers like, yeah, bros, one day you're going to bow down to me. Like, I'm sure they took that really well. You <laughs> yeah, know, of course, he, he probably learned how to communicate more effectively when, <laughs> when he was older. But, you know, they wanted to murder him. Right. They wanted yeah. to kill him. His oldest brother saved his life. They sold him into slavery. And uh, then he was falsely accused of rape, wrongfully put in prison. You know, over the course of probably a decade, I don't know how long it was, but I mean. Then he ends up being the right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt after getting an opportunity to interpret his dreams because he he did so for the some of the folks in prison. And then uh, Pharaoh heard about it when he had some funky dreams. Then he ends up saving you know that whole region from a seven year famine. And so you know you think about that, it's like oh yeah, you know Joseph was the right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, like this high role. But yeah, he was like he went through all that stuff that prepared him to be in a role like that where he could handle it with grace and with the right level of wisdom to handle complex situations. And, you know, without the adversity, there's really no way to learn it. Like, like you can't, you can't really learn how to react until you go through it. And I think that's why our military has been so strong, right? The, the Mm -hmm. training that they go through and the adversity they put them through. And you, you know, you think about the Goggins mentality type of people, that uh, there's really no other way to do it, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I mean, think about this. Like, I don't know if you ever have listened to to Jordan Peterson whenever oh. he talks about kind of the community of ourselves, like past, present, and future selves, and kind of like being able to tie them all together. But you know, think about this. Whenever you've retired, you're you know, in your eighties, nineties, or, I mean, people are living longer and longer these days, however, whatever the age ends up being, and you're, you're looking back on your life. Do you really think you're going to have this mindset of, man, my life was, was easy. It was a cakewalk the whole time. That was really nice. Or are you going to think about, I encountered this and I overcame this. I encountered that and I overcame that. Look at all the things that I was able to work through. Mm-hmm. All of these challenges and all of this this crap that fell mm-hmm. on me and I made it through to the other side. I mean, yeah. Which one of those do you want to be? I know I want to be the so, person who is actually so accomplishing something, right? So good. And and I mean, it's just it, it's weird that only in the past few years have I started to kind of 
think through things in that regard. And maybe that's one of the drivers for me to go ahead and, and go out and do this thing. Because whenever I was talking to my boss, I reported to the COO who was also an entrepreneur, had many business ventures over the years and still does. And, and told him that I wanted to go out and start a company. And he asked me why. And I said, well, I've just had this fire inside of me. I've just always wanted to to do something great. And, and quite frankly, I don't want to look back in my sixties and, and wish I had done it. I don't mm-hmm. want to be in my sixties, then go off and be a consultant. And he's like, well, there's nothing wrong with a 60 year old consultant. I was like, no, there's not, but that's not right. what I want. I want to build something. Right. And by the time I'm in my mid to late sixties, I probably won't have the energy. Mm-hmm. I'm at a point now where I just turned 42 I'm young enough to still have the energy that it takes to build something great, but also old enough to have amassed a significant amount of experience that I can now monetize and help other people achieve success. So I'm kind of at this point where I'm swinging for the fences. And right now I'm excited. I'm motivated. Only got a handful of customers right now, but already have multiple people that are wanting to come work for me and don't have enough work for them just yet, but I think that's a good sign moving in the right direction. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm swinging for the fences and two years from now, if the whole thing goes up in flames, I'll still be young enough. I'll still have a gr- enough great experience. I could just go work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen, but I've always got that to fall back on. It's not like, I mean, if the whole thing goes down in flames, just go get a job. And then whenever I retire, I'll know, you know what? I gave everything I had. Right. And I'm okay with that. I love it. I love it, man. And you know, it's a great time to do it too. Cause you're, you're a single guy. Yeah. Are you a single guy? I'm a single guy. I got a Uh-oh. dog on the market, ladies <laughs> on the market. Um, so, you know, I mentioned Alex and Layla, right? Layla was mm-hmm. on board with, with going through that grind, but yeah. all you young single people out there, Going for it. I, I tell like every young person I meet these days that's like in college or about to be in college. I'm like, dude, if you if you want to try anything, like just go do that now. Yeah. Because that's like it seems like it's more risky if you like when you think back to being a kid, but like that is the time where we should not be drinking our lives away for five years, four years. And like that's when you should be grinding from it is. 18 to 30. Like yeah. just go work your butt off and you know, who knows what would happen. I just encourage people. If you have any fire to do anything like that, go do it, go do it. You know, yeah. You, you said something a moment ago that you were talking about how it seems risky. And this is something that I'll admit and having conversations with my family, my mom and grandmother, I've got a small family, but in, in having conversations with them, they've had this mindset of, well, starting a business, that's risky. That's scary. And to many people, they're right. Now, I think the fallacy here is putting all of your eggs in one basket of, I work for this company and I get a paycheck every two weeks. And if this company goes under or some undeveloped leader doesn't like me and decides to fire me on a whim one day, Mm -hmm. that seems pretty risky to me. Mm -hmm. However, you start a company and you end up with... 10, 15, 40, 50 customers, you're spreading that risk out across all of those customers. And yes, the weight of the organization, all of that stress falls right on your shoulders. But Mm -hmm. if you have 50 customers and you lose 15 of them, you still got 35 customers left over that are generating revenues. My math, right? Yeah, pretty sure that's right. But as opposed to having one source of income from that right. single employer. And so, you know, it is interesting to see how over the decades we've seen more and more people that are getting into entrepreneurship, I guess, technically, you know, a hundred years ago, more people were into entrepreneurship or maybe more, but in any event, yeah, we're seeing this right, uh, right. big push for entrepreneurship these days, but you got to know what you're doing. You got to do your research. You got to find People that are sharing the messages. I mean, we talked about Andy Frisella. We talked about Ed Milet. We talked about Alex Ramosi. You know, there's a lot of people that are just, they're giving away 
the knowledge that you need to be able to do it. You just have to be able to amass and accumulate all of that knowledge and then learn how to apply that right. knowledge. Right. That's the trick. So for all of you that are considering entrepreneurship, go out there and do it. Especially mm -hmm. if you're young, right out of high school or college, just go do it. The upside potential is unlimited and absolute worst case scenario, you go get a job, mm -hmm. but at least try. Sure. I, that's one thing that I wish I would have done. I wish I would have stuck it out longer whenever I was just out of college on those companies trying to make it work. Right. And, you know, I would have had to live with my parents for even longer, but you know, I mean, this day and age, I think most kids don't leave their parents until their mid thirties anyways. But. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll just add on to that, Sean, cause I love it. That, that was awesome, man. Um, I a hundred percent agree. If you know, you've been in the corporate world, you, you can get, people can get frustrated that, uh, you know, like you said, there's ceilings and there's, there's orders and there's, there's a bunch of other people and you're part of a big culture environment. And, you know, that cohesive culture is more important than you. And, um, you just got to understand that. Right. And it's hard, you know, it's hard to understand that sometimes you don't like to understand that sometimes. Um, but Hey, guess what? If you're uh, frustrated and you want to, you know, maybe you want to raise and you're not getting a raise, you can go give yourself a raise anytime. Yeah. And that's the hard truth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you don't but it like means it, go, go do something there, about it. That's right. You can go do something about it. Oh, man, I love this. I don't remember which Rocky movie it was, but <laughs> I'm sure you've heard the quote whenever he's talking to his son. He's like, if you're worth more, go out and get more. But you got to yeah. be willing to take the hits. Yeah. That's what life is about. Mm -hmm. If you want to go be the richest man from your high school, go do it. Mm -hmm. But you got to take the hits. It's not going to come easy. Right. Right. Nothing stopping you. Well, Sean, this mm -hmm. has been fun, man. We, I don't want to keep you all night long, even though I could, probably could. This would be fun. We're going to have to do this again soon. Um, yes, sir. Before we before we go, I got to ask the question. And if y'all aren't following Sean, go follow Sean Barnes, LinkedIn, and uh, subscribe to The Way of the Wolf podcast. Um, Sean, before we go, if you could leave the next generations with a word of wisdom. I think we just left them a big one, so... Uh, it's going to be hard to top it, but if you want to leave them with one thing, what would you leave them with today? Don't let fear stop you from chasing your dreams. Go out, do whatever it takes. Be willing to take the hits. Be willing to endure the sleepless nights. You're going to get stressed out. It's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging, but that is exactly why you need to do it. Awesome. I love it, Sean. Thanks for coming on. Everybody listening, share the show. And as you go, lead everything.